0: This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our
1: world. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guest is Shannon Lee. Shannon is the Marketing, Communications, and Donor Relations Director? Coordinator. Coordinator.
2: For Catholic (laughs) Charities here in the diocese.
1: Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So we want to talk a little bit about Project Rachel, if that's okay. I know you have other things you want to get to, but... of course. So the Catholic Church is sometimes wrongly criticized as not being pro-mom. You know, we fight for the lives of the little babies, but when it comes to moms, we don't really have any support. But that's not true. Can you tell us how that's not true?
2: It's definitely not true. We are focused on elevating women, empowering women, not giving them a handout, but a hand up, making sure that they have the emotional as well as material and spiritual support, through our programs at Catholic Charities, and Foundations of Life is one of those programs.
1: So if you're a woman who thinks she may be pregnant, can you walk us through what Catholic Charities can do?
2: Absolutely. We have appointments available right now for free pregnancy tests, free ultrasounds at all of our locations, and during the new year, we're reopening our brand new office in Pinellas County. We're really excited about that. You can call the main office in Tampa at 813-631-4398 for more information, And if you want to see our work in action, you're more than welcome to come to our work offices. You can donate, you can volunteer, and you can just basically stop by anytime from 8 to 5, Monday through Friday at our locations.
1: Does the support from Catholic Charities end with the birth of the baby?
2: No, it doesn't. Foundations of Life, we're actually extending all of our services now to mothers, fathers, adoptive parents, and family members who are guardians who have children under the age of one. So we're actually investing more into the families in our community.
1: I never hear of support for dads. What do you do for dads?
2: It's a little bit different than what we do for Project Rachel for women, but we can give referrals to some of our community partners if they want to go through a similar experience. But if they need their fathers, some fathers are single. They need support with diapers and formula so they can appropriately support their families.
1: One of the things the church has improved upon is how we care for women who have had an abortion and then regret it, whether it be days, weeks, or even decades down the road. Exactly. Can you talk about Project Rachel?
2: Project Rachel, in the past, the audience were women of a certain age who were beginning to analyze their lives at large. Some have been carrying the guilt of having made the decision to have an abortion at a young age while others were suffering spiritually and wanted to help others not make such rash decisions. Both were seeking to reconcile spiritually and begin the path to forgive us themselves. But today, Project Rachel, our clients are a lot younger. So we've had to sort of evolve our experience with Project Rachel to support these populations appropriately.
1: So again, Project Rachel is primarily to help people who have had an abortion. They want to seek reconciliation with the church, with themselves, with their loved ones.
2: Everybody's journey is a little bit different. And that's why we've shifted our focus to, instead of having weekly retreats for Project Rachel, actually having one-on-one counseling sessions with individuals, as well as a day retreat. We actually have one coming up in November. And we would love to hear from you now, though. You don't have to wait for that one-day retreat. We have trained professionals in our offices that are ready to have the conversation today. Yeah, you. you don't
1: need to carry this pain around. Start the healing today.
2: Absolutely. I mean, let's face it, it's a traumatic experience losing a life. There could also be guilt from the experience, how they're internalizing trauma. All of us handle trauma differently. Most women are a different path of forgiving themselves. And with them being younger, we sometimes have hopeful mothers who think the reason why they can't get pregnant today is because they had an abortion before. We've had other mothers who have been losing pregnancies because she's had an abortion in the past, or she perceives that is the reason why that she's being punished. We also have expectant mothers who are terrified something will be going wrong with the baby this time because they had an abortion in the past. There's a lot of fear, guilt, shame, and more young women are beginning to ask themselves, why should I go through this painful procedure? You never know what might trigger an emotional response to a prior trauma. And it's not something that people typically talk about. It's not exactly dinner conversation or happy hour conversation when you with your friends talking about something very personal and very traumatic. And a lot of women sometimes just bottle it up, and they don't know how to start the conversation. But our counselors are trained to help you start the conversation. And that's really what it's about is having a starting point, getting the services that you need, to support you in this journey and be coached and be able to handle it over time because our society today sort of wants that experience of getting a pill to take care of something. Going to the doctor and getting a pill is not going to help you get rid of trauma. Also in the reality, some of these women, they're still struggling in bad relationships or they might be in an at-risk situation in their household and find themselves pregnant again. And They don't have the network or the community to support them as they're trying to navigate this. We don't want them to feel like they're alone. And to be candid, most of them haven't even met God yet. So we do want to meet them where they're at, at this point in their life. And that's why it's important for them to just start the conversation and give us a call.
1: Yeah. And if they're calling you, it's for a reason. So there is something inside of them that they want healing. They want guidance. So they're turning to you and- What an important phone call that is.
2: Absolutely. Every woman is assessed for their individual needs. Some are even now referred to mental health counseling if they need it. We try to ease their worries and tell them that they're not alone during this pregnancy or by having these feelings of loss. When we do this, we know God is working through us to help them find peace, love, forgiveness, and eventually seek reconciliation. So, With the one-day retreats for Project Rachel, we have group discussions where the women can share how their experiences with loss of self-esteem, anger, substance abuse problems, desire for a replacement baby, among others, and talk about how it's impacted their life. We have found this really powerful, redemptive study of their emotions and feelings is given in a confidential, caring community and helps each hurting woman find their own personal path to healing.
1: It's been over a year since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Has that changed anything within the program? Are you noticing an increase or a decrease in women and men who are seeking your services?
2: I would say we've seen an uptick. And I think that's also where we're seeing younger women come to us. It's not necessarily just women who have had abortions in the past and wanting that reconciliation, but women that are pregnant today and don't have the support to help them navigate an unplanned pregnancy or maybe an at-risk environment in their current living situation.
1: So what do you do with somebody that might be in potentially a violent situation? They're living with somebody who is violent. How can Catholic Charities help that person to get into a more stable environment?
2: We have relationships in our community that will refer you and help you navigate those situations in a safe and confidential manner.
1: So they don't have to worry about whoever they're living with finding out this is all private.
2: It's all confidential. You can give us a call at 813-631-4393 and have a private confidential conversation or just show up. Show up on the way to work on your lunch break. We're here for you. Don't make that the hurdle. We want to help you. So please give us a call.
1: Do you offer ultrasounds, and what about after the birth, diapers and formula and things like that?
2: Absolutely. We have appointments available for free pregnancy tests, free ultrasounds at all of our locations during the new year. And we always are in need of material donations because that's what we give to the mothers when they come. Diapers, wipes, baby food, baby clothes, toiletries. We take them in donations, and we hand them out to mothers in need. We actually have a new boutique shop At the Night Center off of Fletcher Avenue, and you can come there to get some resources as well.
1: Clothing, things like that?
2: Clothing, baby clothing, toys, diapers.
1: It amazes me how many diapers a little child can go through in one day. I mean, you're talking dozens per week. They're expensive, too.
2: As we all know, cost of everything has gone up. Mm. Everything, food, gasoline, and... That's why it's important to realize there are resources available through our Foundations of Life Center to help you support your family and children up through age one. If you're not sure what you need, sometimes just having somebody to talk to can really make a difference as you're navigating it. We're currently offering a seat safety class that upon completion allows the mom-to-be or new mom to receive a new car seat installed by a professional. Nice. I don't know if you remember your first time trying to install a car seat.
1: Oh, you have to be an engineer. Yes.
2: (laughs) And it always changes depending what vehicle that you're in. It seems endless in terms of what we can offer. And really, it's a customized solution to help you navigate this. It can be very nerve-wracking to be a new parent. And if you don't have people in your immediate network or people that you know that are going through the experience, you could feel really alone. You, You don't have to be alone.
1: How is your office supported? The services you provide, maybe they're free for the clients, but when you're talking personnel and items and car seat instruction and everything else, nothing is free, as you were mentioning. So does the diocese support your office, Catholic Charities?
2: The people in the diocese support our programs and Catholic Charities. We have donations from the public. We do get funding from the diocese for different workshops and needs. Why I'd encourage people to come to the office, if you need to pick me up in your week and you just sit in one of our program offices, when I've sat in the Foundations of Life office and just worked there from the day, seeing the amount of people that come in that aren't staff and just donating things, just dropping them off. And sometimes people are like, all I could afford is one bag of diapers. When you start adding it up or the millions of people that live in the Tampa Bay area, If people just donated one item towards a family in need, diapers, formula, gently used baby clothing, it could be new, but gently used is appropriate as well, it helps that family. So they don't have to worry about that expense that they might not be able to cover on their own.
1: So your title is Catholic Charities, so clearly you have to be Catholic, right, in order to enjoy these services?
2: There seems to be that perception out there. It sort of surprised me, but what I have found through Catholic Charities And then also being a staff member, not all of our staff are Catholic, but that's appropriate. Our staff reflects the population we serve. You don't have to be Catholic to be our services. You don't have to be Catholic to work for Catholic charities. We are a nonprofit. We have many programs that support the population that we want to. Personally, I do it because I'm Catholic, but There's still the same values in our community. And that's what's really exciting when you see people that are Catholic and they're just like, you don't mind if I show up and volunteer. You don't mind if I donate. And I'm like, no, that's great. Please do. Please do.
1: (laughs) And same if you are in need of services. It doesn't matter if you're Catholic or not. Correct. Just come in, get the help. That's why you're there.
2: Absolutely.
1: Talk to the woman who is pregnant and anxious about motherhood.
2: It's a new experience. You have a life growing in you. And at Foundations of Life, we're here to help you every step of the way. If you need referrals to medical appointments, again, we do offer free pregnancy tests and free ultrasounds at all of our locations. We're here with you every step of the way. And it doesn't end just when you give birth. It's through that first year in navigating it because we know you're probably not going to get a lot of sleep. Once the baby comes, but we're here to help you as there's going to be ups and downs. And we're a resource for you as you're going through that journey.
1: How about the woman who is considering an abortion? What do you say to her?
2: Give us a call. Let's have a conversation and understand that there's options available to you. There are choices. I think I mentioned earlier that we're here to empower women. Women are told a lot of things from families to their friends and even their coworkers and bosses. I mean, I used to be in corporate America for over 18 years. And when I had a miscarriage multiple times, actually, I had multiple miscarriages. One of my coworkers knew I was going through the experience, and her response to me was, Well, maybe you shouldn't be getting pregnant. Mm. And that always, but that one statement, it made me more passionate to reach out to people that have an unplanned pregnancy and don't want to do because they might not realize what the options are. They might be making a decision because they can't financially support a child, and that scares them. They could be in an abusive relationship, and they feel like this is the only way they can control a very challenging situation. But we're here to be a resource for you and to help navigate what is available to you and how we can support you the right way. It's individual support for our women.
1: And no matter how serious the situation is that you find yourself in, there is help available that can really make that mountain a lot less steep than it looks.
2: Absolutely. It always feels overwhelming when you feel like you're just treading water in your life. And it can feel scary if you're treading water to raise a hand up because you might feel like you're losing control, but we're there to grab your hand and to pull you up.
1: So talk to one more group. What if you are a woman who is suffering because she had an abortion? What do you say to her?
2: Give us a call. Let's start the conversation. We have trained professionals at the Foundation of Life to help you talk through your emotions. And again, that's why the one-on-one coaching is so important, because it's individualized to your needs.
1: I think a lot of people think like we are going to, and I say we because I've had people approach me over the years who have had an abortion, and I never get angry with them. I never judge them. That's not what people who are going through this should expect.
2: Judgment free zone. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It, it really is because we realize in order to heal, you have to have a conversation. You need to understand what trauma you're going through, the feelings of guilt, the feelings of self-loathing. People feel different things in response to loss. I mean, loss is a very unique experience today. We have a very diverse population, and we've evolved our programs to support the evolving needs of people in our community.
1: So you mentioned before that there are group sessions available. Can you give us the date of the next one that's coming up and where it is?
2: Yes, absolutely. Our next group date is November 18th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. with an hour lunch. It's free of cost at the Bethany Center. Up in Lutz. Yes, up in Lutz. Very good. Call us to sign up and directions and we'll get you there.
1: You have to make a reservation.
2: Yes, you have to make a reservation, but one we want to make sure we can feed you. That's important for a day-long retreat. In reality, we want to start the conversation. Don't wait till November 18th. Reach out, give us a call and have your initial session with one of our counselors.
1: Okay, you don't need to suffer. If you've been dragging this around for weeks, months or decades, you don't need to suffer with this. Come receive healing. Absolutely. How yeah. can someone learn more about your office and the services you provide?
2: You can give us a call at 813 813- I also wanted to add that the Knights Women's Center, our location that's next to the abortion clinic on Fletcher, is now open from 9 to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday and is now a full-service location with a baby boutique in it. So that's where you can get your supplies for diapers, formula, baby food, baby clothes, toiletries. And for our donors listening, you could also drop off donations at those locations.
1: Awesome work. Our guest today has been Shannon Lee. She is the Marketing, Communications, and Donor Relations Coordinator for Catholic Charities here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg. And this is How We See It. You're listening to How We See It, a look at issues and ministries that are having an impact in our community and world. If you missed any of today's program, you'll find a copy on Spirit FM's SoundCloud page. There's a link to it at MySpiritFM.com. Now, back to our program. During the month of October, we'll share with you interviews that we had at the Priestly Convocation at Bethany Center. First up is our interview with Bishop Andrew Cousins from the Diocese of Crookston. Bishop Cousins is the chairman of the Bishop's Advisory Group for the National Eucharistic Revival. Bishop, you're the U.S. Chair for Evangelization. The National Eucharistic Revival is happening. How were you named the chair, and when did this whole process begin?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So I was elected chair of the Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis by the bishops of the U.S. Conference. The whole idea for the Eucharistic Revival actually came from Bishop Barron. So Bishop Robert Barron was the chair of the committee right before I was, and he was the one who really raised the concern about Eucharistic belief in the United States in the fall of 2019. And we were having meetings on the possibility of some kind of national Eucharistic renewal initiative in January and February of 2020. Now, no one remembers that because that was right before March of 2020 when COVID hit the country. So we were going to bring this initiative, Bishop Barron was going to bring it to the U.S. bishops in June of 2020, but that meeting never happened. The first time we were able to gather, which was a virtual meeting, was in November of 2020, and that's the moment when I became chair. And so the bishops, I think, really saw that this initiative coming out before COVID was even more necessary after COVID. And so there was a lot of enthusiasm for the idea, and I was tasked with building that initiative beginning in 2021.
1: Part of the problem that you're facing is possibly up to 80% of Catholics don't believe in the real presence. Now, I've seen some polling numbers. Maybe that's not accurate, but the bottom line is too many Catholics don't believe.
0: Yeah, it's both that Catholics and their belief, and even more importantly, Catholics and their practice, right? The most recent study, which you just referred to, does seem to say that on an intellectual level, a higher percentage of Catholics accept the Church's teaching. But that study, with the first study after COVID, showed that only 17% of Catholics go to Mass every Sunday. That's down from 24% before COVID. And so even if someone believes in the real presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, if they're not putting that into action because they understand they have to go to Mass in order to be with Him and receive Him and to live from Him, then we have a real need for the revival which is what the bishops have sensed from the beginning
1: any idea how this happened this has been happening for generations now is it poor catechesis is it just a lack of faith
0: it's a really good question it's a multifaceted issue this whole problem so some of it i think could be chalked up to sometimes poor catechesis people not handing on the faith in the right way you know a lot of it is the problem just of secularism in our society and really these kind of modern beliefs that the visible world is all there is. If you can't see it, then you can't prove it, then you can't believe it. And that's never been a reasonable position, but it is the position of a lot of people in our society. And so that secularism has, I think, dramatically affected, especially our young people, in the way that they view the church and especially the sacraments of the church, which require you to kind of believe in a transcendent reality.
1: I've heard you talk before, now Jesus is present in the Eucharist, obviously, but there's another heart that you talk about, and that is sacrifice. Can you discuss that?
0: Yeah, so to renew faith in Jesus' presence in the Eucharist is only part of the necessary Eucharistic revival, because when we say the Eucharist is the source and summit of our life, we're referring to the celebration of the Eucharist. That's the Mass, right? And that celebration of the Eucharist is meant to be the very heart of our life and to teach us how to live. And if one really begins to learn the lessons of the Eucharist, then one learns that life is meant to be given away, right? The Second Vatican Council said this so clearly. They said, man only finds himself when he makes a gift of himself. St. John Paul II talked about this as the freedom of the gift, right? And the law of the gift that's in our human hearts. And that's what the Eucharist wants to teach us. What does Jesus do in the Eucharist? He makes a gift of himself. First to the Father, and then to us, right? Right? And so we're meant to learn from the celebration of the Eucharist that our own lives are meant to be a gift to the Father. And this is part of what it means to live our baptismal priesthood, that all of us, by virtue of our baptism, are called to make our lives a living sacrifice. And the beauty of that teaching is when you understand it, it has the power to transform the sufferings and difficulties of your life into a gift because we can start to see, okay, this isn't just empty, the struggles I have to go through. These have power, and if I unite them to Christ's suffering through the Mass, they can be part of Christ's redemption of the world, which is what St. Paul says when he says, In my own flesh I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, that is, the Church.
1: I'm actually thinking about a loved one who recently, well, not so recently, but two times tasted blood when receiving the Eucharist, once was on Good Friday, and then once was on a particular dark time that she was going mm. through mm-hmm. and that's not a mistake.
0: Mhm Yeah, you know, the Lord works in very mysterious ways, and I've had people say that to me before, that sometimes when they receive communion, they experience in faith a deeper reality happening. And that doesn't happen every time we receive communion. It's certainly true, though, that the Lord wants to show us how real His love for us is, and that happens mainly through our reception in faith.
1: So we're talking about a National Eucharistic Revival. We're in year two. So next year, it culminates in Indianapolis. Can you tell us about that event?
0: Yeah, so we say it's the high point because there is year three, the mission year, right? But the high point is really going to be the National Eucharistic Congress. From the beginning, as we began to plan this, we began to hear from people that the Church in the United States needed a moment of unity around the thing that unites us, and that a revival is really a work of the Holy Spirit and that we should all, we should invite the whole church to come together to ask God to send His Holy Spirit upon us and to revive the church in the United States. And nobody was more surprised than me when I put this to a vote of the bishops, and over 90% of them voted in favor of this National Eucharistic Congress. I sensed the Holy Spirit's at work here, and that our bishops are calling us from all over the country, whoever is able to gather in Indianapolis and to be a part of these moments in the life of the Church where we're going to celebrate Christ's gift in the Eucharist. And we're going to, of course, receive excellent catechesis. But really, the inspiration is the body of Christ gathering. Thousands, right? We hope to have 80,000 people there gathered to celebrate and hold up the gift of Jesus in the Eucharist. And, of course, the goal of that is the missionary year, which is the final year of the revival. And that is that everyone who comes there will see themselves as missionaries to go back So I'd encourage your priests who are listening, others who are listening, who are the leaders in your parish who are ready to be set on fire with mission? Bring them to the National Eucharistic Congress. They're going to experience an unparalleled moment in the life of the church that's going to affect all of us as a country, I think, for years to come. This Eucharistic revival is something that has to happen in every heart, and I'd encourage everyone listening to this to ask themselves, how can I grow in my relationship with Christ in the Eucharist? How can I do an extra time of adoration during the week or attend daily mass more or study more and most especially share my love for Jesus in the Eucharist? And I hope to see you all in Indianapolis. A lot of people don't know this, but we used to do National Eucharistic Congresses about every three to five years. We had the first large event was 1926, the International Eucharistic Congress in Chicago. And that was a huge event. Almost a million people showed up. But then after that, we had a National Eucharistic Congress in Omaha in 1930, about 40,000 people. Then they went to Cincinnati in 1935, and there was a little small 60,000 people. And then New Orleans in 1938, and there was 80,000 people. And then St. Paul, Minnesota in 1941, again, 80,000 people showed up. St. Paul, where I'm from, they remember this procession from the cathedral to the state fairgrounds, three miles in the rain (laughs) with the Blessed Sacrament. Everybody did it, all 80,000 people, right? World War II ended that, and we haven't had a National Eucharistic Congress since then, so we hope to revive this great tradition.
1: So you think that this could happen more often than the last one was, what, 40 years ago?
0: Yeah, the last one was 1941, so over almost 80 years ago. (laughs) But we did have an International Eucharistic Congress in 1976 in Philadelphia. But yeah, we hope that the 10th is not going to be the last. We look forward to the 11th and the 12th, but we got to get through this one first.
1: True, true. Can you give us a sneak peek? We have just a couple minutes left here. Can you give us a sneak peek of what you'll be presenting to the priests of the Diocese of St. Petersburg?
0: Yeah, I'm going to talk about the spiritual importance of the National Eucharistic Revival. You know, in the end, this isn't about statistics. It's not about trying to raise the number in that sense. It's about strengthening the heart of the Church and strengthening the Church in her identity. We are a Eucharistic Church, and if we know who we are, and we're strong in who we are, and we're strong in our relationship with the Eucharist, then we're going to be able to be Christ's body in the world. And that's what our culture needs most from us right now. So we're going to talk about the importance spiritually of this.
1: I can't let you go till I ask you this. Happy anniversary, 10 years as a bishop. Yes. What was that like, that phone call like?
0: Yeah, the phone call came on October 1st, 2013. So just almost 10 years ago, exactly. And it was certainly a terrifying moment, (laughs) but thankfully for me, it was the Feast of St. Therese, and I have a great devotion to St. Therese. And as that call came, the papal nuncio was telling me Pope Francis had chosen me to be a bishop, I kept hearing her whisper in my ear, confidence, have confidence. And so ever since then, I've gone forward that word from her.
1: Beautiful. Bishop, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters
0: like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash how we see it.